This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. first conversation I was joined by a returning guest uh, Fran Perrin from the Indigo Trust who was joined by her husband Will who's also one of the founders and trustees uh, to talk about their recently announced plans to significantly increase their spending in response to the current coronavirus pandemic. Hi well thanks ever so much for finding some uh, some time to, to just have a, have a brief chat. Um, I guess the the first place to start is um, for for both of you just to say a little bit about how the uh, COVID-19 pandemic is sort of affecting you and, and your funding so far and kind of what you've been doing in response, because I know you've already made some some really interesting announcements about uh, kind of ramping up your efforts. Yes. So like everybody, we've been scrambling to respond to this crisis as it emerges and wanted to be able to do as much as we could to help. So uh, we realised that we had to get money out of the door as quickly as possible to make a difference but didn't want to fall into the trap of philanthropists trying to reinvent the wheel or come up with ideas that were too clever so we decided to look for organizations that had an existing uh, foot on the front line distribution center that would be straightforward we didn't try and jury-rig them into our existing strategies um, and Will could perhaps say a little bit about why we thought uh, it was so important to react quickly. Well, we saw in, um, I think it was the week commencing the 9th of March, just following global news, um, that we were heading into a once in a lifetime national emergency. Um, and we started to talk between ourselves about what an appropriate philanthropic response might be during the course of that week. Our usual funding routes, tech projects, small catalytic grants, mainly overseas, kind of things Indigo does week in, week out, clearly weren't going to make a difference in a crisis at all. And the country was heading into an Italy-style acute period with a sort of essentially generation-defining national suffering. And we could see that a couple of weeks ago, reading between the lines and watching global media as well as British media to see what our trajectory was likely to be. And so um, we were very keen to... Um, get resources to people who could use them before the country went up what you might call the viral curve. Um, there's no point waiting until after we could see that having happened um, to make grants to organizations that needed to respond to national suffering at that point. We needed to use a little bit of foresight to get in uh, ahead of that um, in a way that was um, completely, it was orthogonal to our, our normal funding strategy. So we essentially um, we use a fairly straightforward strategic framework um, based on the work we've done over the years with the philanthropy workshop, with new philanthropy capital and others as we think about strategic philanthropy to say, um, you know, what is an appropriate response to uh, an immediate national emergency? And we sat down with the team, a very small executive team in Indigo, and we started to work through options. Fran. So uh, quickly, the, the ideas that came up were the Trussell Trust, um, the National Food Bank Charity, 
where you have a perfect storm that demand starts to rise very quickly because people are being made unemployed or their existing support networks drop away but also that the um, food that is donated to the food banks drops away because volunteers aren't able to get out and about. Uh, so we felt that this was an, uh, a really straightforward way to help as many people as possible directly. Trussell were incredibly responsive, um, really showed us that they could use the money quickly and directly. Um, and we were delighted to be able to give them one million pounds directly for that effort. We also wanted to work in a coordinated way so that others who are better placed than us could uh, make the decisions on where the money should be allocated. So we gave one million pound to the National Emergency Fund. Uh, this was an existing organization set up after various London uh, crises like Grenfell and terrorist attacks and is now a national scheme. Uh, the coronavirus fund was just being announced that day and will distribute funds through uh, UK community foundations, which exist in every community across the country and are ideally placed to know local needs and to already be working with local charities on the ground. Um, we really encourage everybody to donate to that fund. Uh, because the money will get out everywhere to organisations that can use it straight away. And civil society is going to be really hit by this as demand rises, uh, but donations may drop. Finally, we wanted to do something in our own backyard. So we've given half a million directly to the Oxford Community Foundation, who we've worked with before and are really great at helping local charities. We were great believers and practitioners, we, we like to think, of strategic philanthropy. But strategies are only relevant to the context in which they sit. And when the context profoundly and fundamentally changes, you have to change your strategy. And so we essentially put our existing strategy on hold and went into a new and very rapid, brutal strategic process to deliver funding as fast as possible before the need arose. Um, but even in doing so, we still try to retain a strategic oversight so that uh, for instance, if we wanted to, one of the things about COVID-19 is that suffering and death will be incident across the whole country more or less evenly, except for the most remote fringes. We can see that from the models. So how do we as, as philanthropists based in the southeast of England uh, put resources into something that can alleviate suffering on the ground in, in, in Barnsley? Um, we can't do that in, in a regular grant making process where we send our executive out to do research um, and they report back to us and then we make a grant. By far the most sensible thing to do now is to give money into, into uh, funding vehicles that are set up to do exactly that. And the National Emergency Fund cascading down to community foundations is, is the right strategic route to take now. It's quick and it's low risk and it should appeal to philanthropists, I think, who are looking to, and foundations who are looking to change their grant making now. And we also granted Trussell because, again, it operates at a strategic national level. We put money into Trussell, um, the money is distributed across the country into areas of need in a way we couldn't replicate as, as a grant-making foundation. And do you have any sense of um, the, the extent to which the, the, the fact that you've given uh, that amount of money and also the way in which you've done it, as you say, sort of very sharply kind of shifting away from your standard strategic um, a kind of approach and thinking about how to get money out even when that's very different to your normal grant making has had an effect on other grant makers funders or philanthropists and are they sort of saying actually we're looking at what you're doing and, and we'd like to follow suit we've uh 
it's too early to tell really i think in terms of influencing other philanthropists we're certainly keen to get out our thoughts and to share publicly what we're doing not because we want praise but because we think funders need to act as quickly as possible so whether they choose to donate this way or to other charities they need to act much more quickly than we're normally set up to do and we do want them to think strategically uh, both will and i have been uh, very influenced by the philanthropy workshop and npc new philanthropy capital in how to be strategic donors um, i'd recommend people read the new npc advice to donors that they published as well as specifically how donors can respond to the coronavirus uh, we've seen several other foundations make major donations to uh, trussell and the national emergency fund uh, but it's still a drop in the water compared to the overall needs. So I'd ask any foundations listening to, to strongly consider it. What we have heard is foundation staff have seen what we've done and are taking that information to their board and to their trustees to encourage them to act rapidly. So I hope trustees really listen to that advice. I think there is a broader strategic piece here at a meta level for philanthropy as a whole that fits in with some of the writing you do, Rodri, maybe, as, as you to judge it, I suppose, which is we're at a generation defining national emergency. And if now is not a time to expend accumulated philanthropic resources, when is? The public will be quite um, uh, entitled to ask after this crisis when we take, look back at what happened. Um, what were the philanthropists philanthropy doing with their money to alleviate national suffering during this acute emergency. And I know that philanthropists will come round to that point of view, but we would stress the need for very rapid action. Um, and that means in some foundations, it might well mean invoking emergency procedures. Uh, those that make grants on an annual cycle might want to interrupt that cycle. Uh, those who have, um, uh, those, those who have uh, um, uh, other cyclical arrangements for getting money out of the door might want to pause those. This is not, the time we're entering into now is not one for business as usual. Um, as the, even the government, heaven help us, has said, we will do whatever it takes. And we think that philanthropists need to do whatever it takes now to alleviate national suffering. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd absolutely agree on that, that need for a, for a sense of urgency. And I think it's been encouraging uh, from, from many parts of the sector to have to have seen a kind of recognition of that, um, but I'd still, you know, I think that even even more need for urgency is there. Um, I mean, in terms of the model that you're using, obviously you're saying, you know, I like very much what you're saying about recognizing that the the best thing to do is to uh, relinquish quite a large degree of control over the grant making and just give it to those organisations best placed on the ground to distribute it quickly. Um, but do you have kind of uh, plans for any other resources that you will retain control over and what you're thinking about doing with those in terms of some of the kind of medium and longer term potential implications? I think uh, absolutely we have further plans. What we wanted to do was get the first tranche of money out quickly as an emergency response, but then we're already planning for a second and third stage. Uh, what we know is that charities that deliver services will be badly hit and some will go under. We want to look at uh, a second stage when we're a little bit further through this experience, when we'll have more information about what need is, uh, where government has left gaps and where we can fill it. And then the third stage, which is recovery. And hopefully 
we get to that as soon as possible. But then it will be about how do we support civil society to get back on its feet uh, when charities are still needed to help people with the aftermath, how can we best direct resources there? I think we'll still at every stage be looking to work through existing organizations, um, but there may be more scope at that point to, um, to support the existing charities we know and make sure that they're financially sustainable. Uh, so we, we are doing a lot of thinking about how to do that next. And, and in terms of sort of more broadly than what you yourselves are doing, I mean, what, what based on your uh, kind of knowledge and insight of the challenges that the organisations you work with and as you, others you know are facing on the ground right now, do you think that, you know, government at a central or local level, other funders or, or the charity sector itself needs to be doing? What are the actions they need to be taking to, to sort of ensure that they are in a position to, to remain resilient and, and move into that medium and longer term? I think there are several things. Um, I'd recommend everyone have a look at Carl Wilding at NCBO uh, and others who are working on a coordinated um, approach to government in terms of, they call it everyday counts, how do you help the charitable sector uh, and making sure that charity workers are considered key workers and where a massive financial stimulus might need to take place. We're also encouraging uh, donors and government to publish their grants data to 360 giving. This is something we've been working on for a long time, getting grant makers uh, to share what they're doing so we can better coordinate. And in a crisis, you desperately need information for coordination. Uh, we'd really love to see government as it makes big grants to support services and charities, sharing that data so that philanthropists know where to fill in the gaps. People occasionally uh, say to us, you know, what is the point of all this data about grant making? And we, we, we're about to see that extremely vividly. Um, the government is about to make a colossal scheme of grants to small businesses. Grants, not loans. They've been quite ex explicit about that. Um, and we, it looks like it's probable, but we can't be certain yet, that they will also make grants to charities in order to stop the charitable sector folding as its income collapses. Um, what is the point of that then of the government making grants without telling the rest of the grant making sector to whom it is granted and vice versa? How do we know when we're not doubling up on funding people as we all move forward in an immense hurry to um, keep organizations afloat where that's appropriate or to work through them to alleviate suffering? This is a, a vivid worked example of why we need data in near real time about grant making and the government for reasons that remain completely inexplicable to me has failed to publish its grants data at a granular grant by grant level over the last three or four years and uh, been very very disappointing we're about to write to John Whittingdale to um, uh, today to um, ask him if he can expedite this process I've already written to Michael Gove but obviously in this time of crisis um, they will have a lot to do and this is something the government could have done years ago but for, for unfathomable reasons they've always chosen not to publish their grants data, unlike the USA and Canada, who just publish it as a matter as open data as a matter of course. If I could just add, I think one thing I'd like all funders to do is look at the London Funders Pledge, which has been published recently, which is about funders straight away changing the way that they operate with grantees. So for example, the grants that we've made are all completely unrestricted 
and we've said we don't need any measurement, evaluation or reporting. We want the charities to concentrate on the immediate need, not about writing up reports for donors. And we want to trust them on how to spend the money. The London's Fund Funders Pledge has some very specific actions that foundations can take uh, to make sure that we're not adding to the burden of charities. Absolutely. And I think that London London Funders Pledge, you know, they pulled together very quickly and it's been heartening to see how many organisations have, have joined that and signed up. I mean, we've talked a lot, you know, understandably about the challenges that the, the sector faces and I guess society more broadly. Um, you've also mentioned some some sort of causes for optimism. Um, what have you seen so far that most gives you cause for hope that the sector is going to weather this storm and, and hopefully end up in even better shape, perhaps, than, than it was previously? No, I think there's the, the obvious thing, as Roger, you may know, I, I spent many years running uh, a, a business that specialised in hyperlocal news and information around the country. We helped people set up local information sources that they owned and ran independent of the traditional media. And we can see an awful lot of that going on um, local uh, social groups, whether it's uh, Facebook or uh, WhatsApp or Nextdoor or um, pre-existing websites run by hyperlocal media, they're really demonstrating the value of ultra-local media that's controlled and run something by people, something that the charity sector has always massively underestimated um, uh, over the last 10 years. So I think that's very good. We can see an explosion in self-organized grassroots volunteering uh, as people uh, arrange to look after each other. Um, but there, there will be, and we have to be clear about this, you know, there's going to be a negative downside from this, not just at a social level, but um, there will be a substantial hard impact on voluntary sector organisations. Um, and some of them aren't going to exist because they won't be able to make it through this crisis. Many of them who are run by uh, older volunteers might have had some tragic consequences that uh, might might, uh, might come to pass. So there will be profound change in the sector, but we have to be optimistic that a new form of communitarian action, action on the ground is, is, is arising. And the challenge then for the sector is how do we keep that rolling um, so that uh, this crisis won't be over, click your fingers and it finishes. It will be a long, slow escape from, from, from this uh, hideous COVID-19. And we need to work out how we can... Uh, capture that volunteering and keep it and continue it for the public good. I think for me, uh, the the thing that gives me optimism in these dark times is that we have an extraordinary civil society in the UK already, um, and I hope we can support it so that we keep as much of it as possible during this time. Yeah, absolutely, and I I think you know on, on both of those counts, I think there are reasons for. For optimism, I'd agree. I mean, also, we need to be very clear that, that there is, you know, reason to, to be concerned and a lot of work to do. But certainly as, you know, someone who's kind of interested where possible in attempting to take a longer view of civil society, it's it's incredible to be living through a period where it really feels that some quite fundamental changes might be taking place, even if it's very difficult to foresee which of those will stick and, and where they may end up. But, um, you know, it's have to sort of try and, and and look above the day-to-day -day every once in a while just to just try and keep track of that stuff um listen is it absolutely great to to get both of you on the podcast is there anything else that, that we haven't said so far that you'd you'd like to flag up to people i think there's just one thing which is about the radically quick transformation that's happening in digital world at the moment as we all shift to working at home where possible um there are some encouraging things about that where foundations or some traditional organizations who've never seen the need 
for uh, flexibility around working from home or video conference calls um, are suddenly having to speed up the way they transform digitally. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people skilling up on this. Um, and I think longer term, I hope that change continues, even when we are free to be back at work as normal. I think it's an area where we can support charities where they've had to deliver services face-to-face. -face. And face-to-face -face will always be better, but if it's not possible, how can we help support charities to switch to an online or phone-based system where, where applicable? Um, as we slightly get over the first curve of the emergency, I'd love to see foundations supporting charities to make that switch, but not trying to reinvent the wheel, not trying to create entirely new products to do that, but using simple things that already exist. And I'd point a lot of people to the UK uh, online centres, which are part of the Good Things Foundation, which can help let people get the digital skills they need very quickly, how to video chat, how to search for information um, for users who aren't used to that. And it's interesting, I think, uh, that Good Things has in the last year uh, has seen an influx of money from private foundations um, as, as leading foundation grant makers have suddenly realised that um, people's ability to do smart things online is fundamental to modern life, regardless of that person's index of social deprivation or their educational background or social class or whatever. Um, it's becoming a necessary uh, foundation for modern life. And um, I do hope, and, and I have to declare an interest, I'm a trustee of, of good things, that we, we're able to attract more funds um, as we go forward. Absolutely. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how much of that kind of enforced change at the moment through necessity sticks after the event and results in sort of genuine transformation so i'll certainly watch that space um just want to say thank you uh, again both of you for, for taking the time to come on and you know look forward to to seeing how all of your your efforts kind of play out over the the coming months and certainly you know it would be good to to catch up maybe a bit further down the line to to see how things have progressed of course we'd like to and, and thank you rodri and remember wash your hands <laughs> I, yes I, I hear my daughter singing happy birthday all the time so it's hard to forget <laughs> <laughs>